Turning your Bibles to John 11. Came to this earth and became man for us. Not just to show us how to live, not just to perform miracles, not just to do wonderful things which he did, but essentially to give his life a ransom for many, for us. Mm. This year we're on a journey through the Gospel of John, declaring who Jesus is all along the way, and we have made it thus far to John chapter 11. Isn't that awesome? Some Texas millionaires had a convention, and some Christians wanted to get together and have a round table and share how the Bible helped them become so wealthy. And at this round table, one of them testified, you know, I noticed the word oil all through the scriptures, and so I invested in oil, and I'm worth millions today. Another one said, man, I did the same thing. The word was cattle kept coming to me. Another one said, man, I did that. Went in the sheep business, and man, we've got mutton all over the world being shipped out of our place. We're worth millions. Thank God for the Bible. Another one said, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm bankrupt. Every time I opened the Bible, I opened it to chapter 11. I thought it was funny. Anyway. John chapter 11. Death of Lazarus. Verse 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Lazarus is the Greek pronunciation for the Hebrew name Eliezer. It means God has helped or God is my help. And he certainly was in a condition where he needed some help because he was terminally ill. Verse 2, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. We'll read that story on another Sunday. It's in chapter 12. Verse 3, Therefore the sister sent to Jesus, sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now in the previous chapter, he had been in Judea, in the Jerusalem area, and had left there and gone down to Bethbara on the banks of the Jordan River where he was baptized, where John the Baptist's ministry was centered. And he was there waiting on God does send him back into Judean territory, which would be his closing days. And so here we are a few weeks from his death, and he hears word that he has a friend in Bethany, which is a couple miles from Jerusalem that's really sick. It's 20 miles away. It's a long distance. Uh, verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. <laughs> then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. This reminds me of John the Baptist being in prison, facing his own death, and sends word to Jesus, are you the Messiah or do we look for another? And he said, tell John the Baptist, the blind see, the deaf hear, the poor have the gospel preached to him, and blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Who knows, God will offend you. So this was highly offensive that he didn't come running. Being 20 miles away, it took the messengers. They didn't have email. They didn't have texting. It took the messengers a good day to make it. I've walked 20 miles in a day, and that's, that's, a, that's, that's quite a walk. 
So it took a good day to get the news to him. And then he waits two more days before he goes, which is another day. So it's like four days. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi or teacher, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? We saw on previous Sundays, they, they tried to kill him twice and seize him a couple other times. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What is he saying? He's saying it's the time now to go. It's time to travel. Not just because it was day, but because the father who told him what to do and told him what to say was leading him to go back. And living as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, we're to do that. We're to live a life obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When we do that, we can walk in the darkest of night and not stumble because our Father's leading us. So he was basically saying, it's time to go. Verse 11, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Let's not risk our necks. However, verse 13, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He had to speak the language of humans, of mere mortals. Yeah, he's dead. But in his view as God, death is nothing more than sleep with him around. Verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now he's preparing them for his own death when their faith is just going to be shattered. And he's going to give them a demonstration that he is Lord of death too. They knew he could heal the sick. They didn't know he could conquer death. And so he was glad they were going to get an opportunity to see something that would help them believe. Verse 16, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas, I don't know what the deal is. He's a twin. You ever wonder who his brother was? I heard one theologian say, His brother is us. We say things that don't make sense or we're doubters. I don't know. He became a courageous man. After his conversion, he went to India, carried the gospel farther than any of the other disciples, planted seven churches that are still there. You can't say that about the rest of the 12, including the Apostle Paul. The congregations they planted don't exist anymore. But Thomas's are still there. They're dead as can be. They need a major revival. They fight other missionaries because they're the real church, you know. A few years ago, we had an Indian family worship with us who lived in the Granbury area who have since moved to Houston. This was her home church for a few months. And the wife, the husband was Daniel, the wife's name, Suja. And Suja was a descendant of Thomas's converts. So awesome testimony to Thomas. What a, what a mighty man. And so maybe he just had a streak of courage in him that sometimes showed up. I don't know. Let's go die. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, all right, they've journeyed 20 miles, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. 
So there's a day for the messenger to bring the news to him. And probably when Jesus got the news, Lazarus was already dead. So Jesus waiting for four days wasn't a lack of a desire to heal someone. It was just him wanting to press in the fact that he has authority over death. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. I think it says that to let us know that not only are the inhabitants of Bethany there, but there's people there from Jerusalem. This is on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So word of what's about to happen is going to reach Jerusalem. So they're there comforting them concerning the death of their brother four days earlier. In verse 20, now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. She caught him before he could make it to Bethany. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she's basically telling him, I know you're able to heal the sick. If only you'd been here. I know you can still heal the sick. But if only you'd been here, my brother would have been healed. Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So her faith is in the future, but she's got the if onlys in dealing with the past. You ever deal with your past? If only I'd have this or if only you to that. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Jesus is able, if you give your present situation to him, to take your if-onlys and turn them into because-ofs. Because he died, not because he wasn't healed, but because he died, the Lord demonstrated something wonderful. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What is he saying? He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I think he's speaking of his return when he leaves and comes back, which we're still looking forward to that. Those who have died will be resurrected. But those who are alive will be caught up, Paul wrote in one of the Thessalonian letters, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. They'll never die. Some people have taken this scripture out of context and formulated a teaching called the Never Die Doctrine. There used to be a couple here in Grammarie that taught this. They had a little Bible study in their home. They ate lots of grapes and fruits and nuts. And they were old. They lived a long time, but they died. Jesus said, He who believes in me Though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. And then she doesn't relate to his statement. She just relates to her faith. You are the Christ or you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. So she's honest with her belief, but she doesn't get it yet. Verse 28, when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary. Her sister saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. 
Verse 31, Then the Jews who were with her in the house, that's the folks from Jerusalem, and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out following her, saying, She's going to the tomb to weep there. So they follow her. Then after Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept is the most memorized verse in all the Bible. If you grew up in church and you had scripture quoting contests in Sunday school as a child or scripture memory, John 11:35, Jesus wept, is bound to be one that you learned. Jesus wept, John 11:35. Can we say that? See, you memorize a verse in the Bible. Why did he weep? He saw them being troubled. He saw them being sad. And weeping is contagious. Sometimes you see somebody crying, it makes you want to cry. He was compassionate. He felt people's pain. His compassion wasn't just sympathy. It was accompanied by a desire to do something about their pain. Another reason why I think he wept was he was going to have to bring Lazarus back to this place. And in just a few weeks, Lazarus is going to have to hide because people are going to want to kill him, torture him, be cruel to him, threaten him. Knowing where Lazarus was to where he was going to have to bring him, not exciting for Lazarus. Reminds me of that song. I want to hear voices of angels above singing as one hallelujah. As a boy, I met a missionary who had been struck by lightning and killed. And her testimony was she began to leave her body and look down on her body and believers were around her body praying. And a voice above her said, you're not done. You have To live is Christ, but to die is gain. So he's going to have to bring him back. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind, remember what he did in the preceding chapters, also have kept this man from dying? How sad. Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Now, they generally buried people the day they died. They didn't embalm them, so they would wrap them in pieces of cloth and pour perfumes and spices on them to keep them smelling good and then to honor them and then they put them 
in the tomb and seal it up. But after a few days, those spices do no good. You ever been around somebody that hadn't bathed in a few days and they decided to put on some perfume or deodorant? And it just magnifies it, makes it worse. So this was going to be a stench coming out of that thing. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. So they're standing there, holding their noses, you know, bracing for the whiff that's coming their way. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him. Lord, I pray that you would loose us today and let us go free of every ounce of unbelief, every lack of understanding of who you are. I pray, Lord, you'd free us from it. Bring life to us, even in the face of death. In Jesus' name, amen. In the late 80s and early 90s, there was a very popular Christian singer named Carmen who wrote a song about this story. I'm not sure about all the theology in the story, but it is a fun story. So for the sake of memory, let's review it with this video of Carmen singing. Many years ago, in a far-off place in the Middle East, Jesus Christ once again proved his miracle-working power when he told his disciples to take ye away the stone, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. In a room, he turned around and saw 
what you call a blast from the past. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The subject this morning is Jesus is the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection. For the next few minutes, I'm going to share with you eight things that are unique about him being the resurrection. Number one, the resurrection is not just a past or a future event. The resurrection of Lazarus was a past event, but it's not just a past event. And our future resurrection is a future event, but it's not just a future event. The resurrection is a person, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So if you had been here in the past, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Then she jumps from the past to the future. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is the foundation of our faith. Jesus Christ is the resurrection. The resurrection is a present, living, resurrected person. And his name is Jesus. Isaiah predicted the Lord's swallowing up of death forever. Isaiah 25.8 says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. One day, death is going to be gone. The Lord will swallow it up forever. Christ has already swallowed it. He's already absorbed it. But we're going to reap the benefits of that upon his return. You ever had something delicious that you were looking forward to eating that you had saved in the fridge? Came home only to discover that your parents or your children ate it? Is there any restoring of that? It's gone. It's gone. Maybe you can go get another cake, but you can't get that piece. It's gone. I have a favorite soft drink called ginger beer. Have no fear. It's made from ginger roots, like root beer is made from sassafras roots. It's not alcoholic. If you pray for me, you don't have to pray about alcohol. It's not a temptation for me. Other things are. It's like ginger ale. It's made from ginger, but ginger ale is dry. Ginger beer is not dry. It has a kick to it. You ever had an atomic fireball candy? You ever had a jalapeno? I mean, it has a kick to it. If that doesn't care for it, and one day we had a guest at our home that had never tried it, so she went out to the garage where I had my personal case. I'll buy a bunch of it because you can't just buy it anywhere. It was made in Jamaica. It was awesome. He sampled it and couldn't stand it. And so she sampled it too and said, oh, this isn't any good, and she threw it out. Never to be recovered. Gone. Poured my stuff out. Gone. I was heartbroken. How could you do this? Why couldn't you just tell me it was off and let me prove whether or not it was off? Ginger beer doesn't go off. Christ poured out himself for us, for death. Death, the threat of death is gone. It's been swallowed up. Thirdly, Hosea prophesied that God would redeem his people from the grave and be the plagues of death. 
Death has plagued the human race from the beginning of time and continues to plague us with plagues. HIV, bubonic plague, black plague, current plagues like malaria, AIDS. Some things are spread by behavior. Some things are spread by the wind. Some things they don't know how they get spread. But there's plagues in the land. God's promised to be the plague of death. Through Hosea, he prophesied that he would ransom us from the power of the grave and redeem us from death. And then he says, oh, death, I will be your plagues. It's payback time, baby. I will be your plagues. Oh, grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Ain't going to be anybody sorry for the destruction of death. We have this promise to hold on to. God will fulfill His promise. Notice the personal touch. The plague is a person. Resurrection. Jesus. Fourthly, the Bible says that death is an enemy that will be destroyed. Can we say destroyed? 1 Corinthians 15.25 says that Jesus, speaking of Jesus in the context, must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now we know that personally in heaven... Death is already under the feet of Jesus. There is no death in heaven. Heaven is God's throne, but the earth is his footstool. And we as members of the body of Christ are his hands and feet. This promise means that death is going to be under our feet. But in Christ, it's already under our feet. Because we live in that eternal present, the presence of God. We won't die. When we die, our bodies cease to exist, but we Live forever. Your eternal life begins the moment you're born again. This is the glorious beauty of the gospel. Fifthly, Paul also wrote that Christ abolished, and we say abolished, abolished death and brings immortality to light. He did this through his own resurrection. Second Timothy 1.10, he wrote, has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There is a fountain of youth. Not youth that restores this body, but youth that restores our soul. Youth like the eagles. Youth that is restored, the resurrection. And we taste that in Jesus. We taste that when we face surgery. We hear many testimonies like this, people facing death itself, and there's just a supernatural calm that comes upon us. Why? Because the sting of death has been taken away. Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He has taken the fear all away. And now we are learning the true joy of living in Him is life abundant and free. Death has no sting and the grave has no victory. Jesus has taken the fear all away. And now we are learning the true joy of living in Him is life, abundant and free. This is the foundation of our faith. Number seven, the book of Hebrews says that through death, Jesus destroyed Him who had the power of death so that we could be freed from fearing death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil For the death conqueror is with us. Amen? 
Inasmuch then as children are partaking of flesh and blood, he himself has shared in the same. He became one of us. How many parents are in the house? Your children carry on your characteristics, not just because of your children, but because you raised them. Every time I look in the mirror, I see my dad. 20 years ago, it's like going back in time. Oh, dad's here. Christ partake of human suffering, of the human condition. He tasted it. He became one of us, shared in the same, so that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. How did the devil get the power of death? Man gave it to him. Man was created eternal, wonderful, alive, immortal. But God gave him a choice and said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will die. Satan tempted him to not believe. The sin that brought death upon us was not the eating of the fruit so much as it was not believing the word of God. When we don't believe the words of life, it gives authority to the enemy. And Christ came and was the word of life made flesh and came and gave his life and brought his life for us so that we could be freed from the fear of death took it back. He's the last Adam. The first Adam messed up and passed it on to all of us. The last Adam fixed us up and passed it all on those who will believe. Release those who fear of death for all their lifetimes subject to bondage. The fear of death is a great bondage. There's a lot of phobias in the world, a lot of fears. If you have it, it's a tough thing. But most phobias relate to the fear of dying. Fear of drowning, fear of heights, fear of water. We don't want to die. We're afraid to die. But Christ can set us free from all bondage and all phobias. Just give him some time. Grow in the knowledge of him. You can do all things through him who gives you strength. Lastly, the next to the last chapter of the Bible describes a new Jerusalem as a place where there will be no more death. Can we say no more? There's a voice in the new Jerusalem that John saw descending out of heaven onto the new earth. The voice came out of this heavenly city and said this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Can we say dead? Death is going to be dead. Then he who sat on the throne, which is in the midst of the city, said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. He was told to write these things. God makes all things new. Our spirits have been reborn. Our minds are being renewed. And these bodies, hallelujah, are going to be replaced. The earth is groaning for the redemption of the sons of God. The Holy Spirit is groaning for redemption. And the older we get, the more we groan. Enjoy your youthfulness while you have it. But Father, time is marching on. But we have nothing to fear because we've been redeemed. We promised a new body, a glorious body. And right now, between now and the return of Christ, we don't have to live in fear of that stuff.
Jesus is the resurrection. Is he yours? We proclaim he's the Savior. As we grow in faith, we proclaim he's my Savior. We proclaim he's the shepherd. As we grow in faith, we learn that he is my shepherd. Today we're proclaiming he's a resurrection. Is he your resurrection? You see, he died on the cross in our place for our sins so that we don't have to die for our sins. When we die, it's just a consequence of Adam's sin because our sins have been paid for. So his death becomes our death. We know that. But his resurrection becomes our resurrection. He is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. He's the first seed that has come up out of the ground and borne fruit. And we will follow. We're the second fruits or the last fruits of the resurrection. He is the resurrection and He is our resurrection. What is so important about the resurrection is that He conquered death for us. But also His resurrection proves something. It proves that our sins have been paid for. He's our receipt as it were. We know He died for our sins and He's risen from the dead leaving our sins behind, our punishment behind. His resurrection proves that it happened and marked time for all eternity. It's embedded in the culture. It's embedded in the world's history. It's year 2012 because of the resurrection. His gospel could not be wiped out. His resurrection caused it to explode around the world. I know my sins are gone because of the resurrection. Here's an illustration that's also an invitation. A couple years ago, I went to this event that's at Bass Hall every year around this time of year, and this year's event happens this coming Tuesday. Pastor Milton Pace has an amazing family and a highly gifted church and an academy for gifted kids that's like none other in the Metroplex. It's in southeast Fort Worth. They do this at Bass Hall every year, and it's a concert like you've never been to, featuring the family, the school, and the church. It's awesome. It's at Bass Hall this coming Tuesday. This is my PayPal receipt. Yvette and I are going, Lord willing. We have seats. This doesn't look like it, but this is a plush, well-upholstered, air-conditioned, sound like no other place in Fort Worth, padded seat, two padded seats. Doesn't look like it. But this is two padded seats in Bass Hall on Tuesday night. It may not look like it, but the resurrection is my seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The resurrection is my resurrection. The resurrection is my voucher. The resurrection is my proof. And yours too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person here that does not know you as their resurrection. I pray, Lord, that they would realize that you did come. History does record that you were here and records there was a death as a result of professional executioners. You were dead, and there was a burial, and then there was an empty tomb.
And then there was a testimony of witnesses that saw you for 40 days who died torturous deaths and never recanted their testimony under pressure. Your church was born just a short walk from that empty tomb. The resurrection happened and marked history for all time. Lord, I thank you for the assurance that you can be the resurrection for all who have put their faith in you. And in you, we are already seated in heavenly places. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Make this real to all of us like never before, but especially to those who've never put their faith in you and believed. I just want to close with an appeal. That you consider believing in Jesus. You know, you would never go eat at a restaurant if you didn't believe the food in that restaurant would meet your need and would be safe. How many are thankful for the health department? If you see a warning sticker on their window from the health department, you probably won't go in there because you don't believe it would be safe for you. If you'll believe in Jesus, you will partake of his benefit. He'll give you peace. He'll give you strength to go through the toughest times. He'll give you the assurance that you're not alone. He'll free you from the weight of the guilt of the things you've done wrong through your whole life. Does that mean you'll never have problems? No, you'll have problems. But you'll go through them victoriously with courage and help. You have a reservation for eternity let's just call on his name I'll show you how to do it let's call on his name together Jesus I believe in you I believe that you died and that you rose from the dead I give you my life forgive me of my sins Lord, let that prayer be prayed by every person in this room that needs to pray that today. Just in your own words, pray that even now. In a minute, I'm going to have you stand and have the prayer team come and join me across the front to pray with anyone about anything. And if you've prayed that prayer today, come up with those that need to receive prayer and tell someone, hey, I prayed that prayer. Let, let, let them pray with you some more.